0: You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. I want to tell you a little bit more about what makes this vision of Daniel's unique here in Daniel chapter 7. Obviously, we have seen visions before, up to this point in the book of Daniel, so this is not a new thing, but I want to take some time just to draw out some of the uh, things that make this vision unique to Daniel and to his book. So just remembering back, in Daniel chapter 2, we read about Nebuchadnezzar's first vision, and he expected the wise men to be able to uh, interpret his vision. Obviously, the Chaldeans gave their excuses and told the king how unreasonable his request was. And then Daniel was able to interpret the dream, the vision, by God's help. And that was the first time we saw some of these instructions given by God in a divine uh, manner to Nebuchadnezzar, to a world leader, to specifically give the Gentiles God's word, God's instruction about what was coming And then we saw Nebuchadnezzar's second dream right away in chapter 4. It's also interesting to me that a lot of times in Daniel, the visions are interrupted by events, and those events are normally trials of God's people. Kind of fascinating to think about Daniel chapter 1. Daniel and his friends were put on trial for not eating the king's meat. Then chapter 2, there's a vision. And that's God's instruction to the Gentiles through Nebuchadnezzar. Then, Daniel chapter 3, you have the fiery furnace. And so, again, standing up for what's right, uh, Daniel's friend's thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down to the king's image, which was kind of possibly connected to the vision in chapter 2. But we see the stand that they take in chapter 3. Then, again, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar receives a vision telling the king of his own ruin, how he's going to go become a beast in the field. Um, Very interesting. That's chapter 4, which, remember, is really an account of the king's own testimony. Then chapter 5, Belshazzar's vision. So he is feasting and celebrating his own greatness and mocking God in an idolatrous feast here. And the handwriting on the wall says that his days are numbered and that he's been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And that's the kingdom's implosion. We saw how Babylon was taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire. And so that's chapter 5. Then in chapter 6, in that Persian Empire, Daniel uh, is envied by the other presidents who basically trick the king into making a decree and sealing it with the seal of the the Medes and the Persians, which does not change. And so that's how Daniel ends up being thrown into the lion's den because he prayed to God as he did aforetime. So we see, very interestingly, this connection kind of back and forth between visions and then stands that Daniel or Daniel and his friends or just Daniel's friends took throughout this book. And we've mentioned this before, how there is that connection of what God reveals to his people and even through other sources that are in contact with God's people and those same people, their decision to stand for what's right. A lot of times I think we expect God to show us, you know, the future, the next step, his will, uh, guidance, but we're not willing to take the right stands. And a lot of times God isn't going to show us that. If we're not willing to stand up, see, there's a, there's a price for understanding God's will, for understanding God's word. And that price is obedience. And because Daniel obeyed, I firmly believe that in God's will, how God divinely orchestrated this because Daniel's choices repeatedly to do what's right, to take stands, not to back down, to be on the right side. God showed him his will. God gave Daniel some incredible insight into the visions of Nebuchadnezzar, into the vision right there in front of Belshazzar, and today his own vision that we're going to see, Daniel's vision himself. And I think that's very instructive for us today. What what side do we need to be on? What stand do we need to take? Because very often I think God withholds Uh, instruction or revelation or understanding of his will because people are not willing to take those stands. So we've seen visions before in the book of Daniel, but here in chapter seven is the first vision that we're given that was directly to Daniel. So let's read the first two verses here. And I know we, we jumped into this last time and our point was really last week how God, is working in the background, which is so comforting to think about, that we are not, you know, living this life on our own, but God is very active, and God is at work, and we can, we can have confidence in that. In the world around us, in the events that are unfolding that we are living in, God is very much at work. So we're going to see here, just reading verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 1. I'm sorry, of Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. So let's pause there. Remember, we're jumping back in time because this is, as it says, the first year of Belshazzar. And we just mentioned Belshazzar's kingdom imploded. That was recorded in Daniel chapter 5. So chronologically, we have to kind of jump back in time. And now we're being told of this vision um, because now we're ready for it. Now that we've got the context leading up to this point, this is the vision that God gave Daniel. And again, there's some amazing contrast between Daniel's vision and the vision that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to actually read um, a quote on this. From John Phillips in his Exploring the Book of Daniel expository commentary here, and this is from page one eleven, and so c- contrasting and comparing these two visions, the vision that Daniel's having now, and the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. Remember when he was told that he was going to um, first, you know, he was represented as that um, head of gold, and the and the image. And then second, he was told how he was going to go be a beast of the field. So those are talking about kingdoms, you know, God working in those, the kingdom of Babylon and other kingdoms. But so I'll read this quote from John Phillips. He says, both visions were concerned with the course of Gentile world power down through the ages. The chief difference being one of perspective. The heathen monarch envisioned such power as something glorious, something to be put on a pedestal and worshiped. The saintly Hebrew prophet saw Gentile world power as something bestial and dreadful to behold. Nebuchadnezzar saw the Gentile world empire as a vast um, human image, well-proportioned, intelligent, godlike, and splendid. The substance, strength, and the scenarios were varied, but the symbol was one of complete whole. Daniel saw the differences between the empires and saw their true characters as God saw them. Um, and he goes on and he says, moreover, altogether the empire succeeded one another in inevitable march of history. Daniel saw them all at once, the way God sees the passing events of time. I think that's very interesting because, as we read last week, um, Daniel sees these beasts, you know, and and he sees them described as uh, animals, and you know, there's the leopard, there's the the beast that he even has a hard time describing. There's horns. You know, and these are all cruel, uh, crude, animalistic figures that Daniel is seeing. And that is really how God sees the world empires. You know, when man looks at power and and a regime and an empire, you know, we see something glorious, something powerful, strong, magnificent. You know, look at what this world leader has built up. And th- that's how we, you know, kind of dramatize things when we look back in, in history at different empires and different ages. But God sees it a totally different way. He sees it as um, really crude, um, violent many times, cruel men who consolidate power and who lead other people, and God views it as a rather disgusting thing until we get to that final kingdom, the kingdom of Christ that does not pass away. All other things compared to that and this vision as we see are like beasts they're like animals so that's very interesting instead of that glorious statue with the the head of gold and you know the different metals the brass you know and the, the silver and then down to the feet where there's that clay instead of all that God sees these animals these beasts very interesting uh, comparison Uh, We'll read here in verse two, it says, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by nights and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Now this again is very interesting. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, his vision was really all about Babylon. If you remember chapter two, it was all focused on world domination, uh, geopolitical uh, significance, all really centered on babylon that was kind of the the, the world center and we're going to see this as we go but really the world symbolically in scripture has has two capitals and we're going to see this um, especially as we get into end times um, but there's the commercial capital there's the commercial um, then there's like the religious capital the capital of the world in a religious sense and Babylon really kind of represents both of those things in prophecy, the religious capital um, of paganism, idolatry, and then the economic capital, you know, you could even say the political capital. And that's really where the Antichrist takes his throne, his seat, and that's where his power is in Babylon. And that's uh, symbolically in scripture as well. But we see here in this vision, this is God's perspective. Remember, Daniel sees these kingdoms as beasts. He sees them all happening kind of at the same time. With God, there is no time. So, all of history is spread out before God. And he sees it from the, the end all the way back to the beginning. Um, from the start to the finish, God sees all of history. And so God's perspective here, it says, Daniel saw, behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. That's very interesting. That's not describing Babylon. That's describing the location of Israel. Because the four winds of the earth, the the fertile crescents there, the land of Israel is the um, basically, the epicenter of the world, it's the um, where all the other civilizations cross, it's that crossing point. Um, so that's where Israel is, it's where the four winds of the earth meet, is the land of Israel, and it says by the great sea. And really, in God's mind, true world domination depends on who controls the Mediterranean Sea, who controls. Uh, the Middle East, Israel being the epicenter there. So again, we just see God's perspective. This is going to be an, a different vision than what we've seen in the past because it's specifically coming from God's point of view. So it's it's very different, contrasted with Nebuchadnezzar's vision. We're going to see um, really the struggle for the world. And again, this is written to the Gentiles, but it's pertaining mainly to the Jews. So these kingdoms are the ones who took Possession of Israel, these world leaders, these men, going all the way up to the Antichrist, and it's describing the times of the Gentiles mentioned in the Gospels. So we'll continue to unpack this and kind of dive into this vision in the upcoming weeks. But the, the real point of this chapter is a focus on Christ's kingdom. That's the only thing glorious in this chapter, because, you know, the ram stomps on the goat, And these kingdoms are just all destroying each other. But in the end, Christ, he's that unmovable, unbeatable kingdom. He's the true ruler in righteousness, the true glorious kingdom among men. So just imagine what God's kingdom will be like. That's what this vision gives us a glimpse of. And I can tell you, God wins in the end. It's not a battle between man anymore. God is victorious. So we'll pick up with some more information on this vision continuing next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.